0: When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner.
1: Good morning. Yes, it's not Will Faulkner, it's Ronan here, the business show guy. I took a call from Will yesterday. He asked, could I sit in for him for today? I obviously said yes. But it just begs the question, am I just sitting in for him on Midlands today or am I actually managing director for the day? Now that's an interesting one, especially to everybody that's here in the building at the minute, Sinead and Ellen, Shawnee and especially to Chris. you better be nice to me for the next three hours or so because I've got all the power for the day. That's what I'm assuming. Anyway, anyway, what I must say is you're very welcome to Midlands today. Big thanks to Peter Dunn as always. I must say he is looking extremely fresh and well for a man who's been up since before the crack of dawn this morning. He also gives off the vibe of a man who is really enjoying his new role on The Breakfast Show and I think is really coming across on air. So well done Peter, really enjoying listening to you there at the minute. So what have I got coming up for you between now and 12 o'clock? Well you're going to hear about the 16 year old wheelchair user who plans to document his visits to all 32 counties and outlining and logging the the obstacles and challenges that are presented to wheelchair users in the process. Also, Ultimate Hell Week. Have you seen that series at all on RTE? And do you, are you like me and you're sitting there going, what and why would you put yourself up to that challenge? Well, later on today, you're going to meet A person who actually took that challenge and you're going to find out what it was like. Even the preparation for something like this would uh, turn your stomach. But I'm really looking forward to hearing more about a local person who uh, took on that challenge recently. Also, Embrace Farm are launching a new mentoring programme and you might be familiar with Embrace Farm. They are there to support families who are bereaved uh, due to farm accidents, so very worthwhile uh, grouping and you'll hear more about their new mentoring programme later today too. And also we're going to probably touch on things like the turf and the potential, the proposed ban on turf and then the motion from Sinn Féin that was overturned last night. Um, that's a, an ever-pressing topic in, in this area, of course, and we'll bring you the latest updates on that. And we're also going to bring you a beautiful story of two people from Westmead, um, one who was waiting for a number of decades, actually, to, for a kidney transplant. And they eventually got got this done, but they availed of a really, call it, I call it an ingenious scheme in the UK, and basically the theme behind it is, give a kidney, get a kidney, but it's been life-changing obviously and life-saving for this person and uh, you'll hear all about that story a little bit later this morning too. That and lots more to come on Midlands today. If you want to get in touch with me here in the studio, you can do so by text and WhatsApp on 083 30 103 or you can give a call here to the station on 0818300103 103 and the good news is everybody who rings in today or texts us or gets in touch with the show will be entered into a draw and the qualifier from today along with the qualifiers from the rest of the week go into the big draw tomorrow and you can win a two night stay with B&B for two people in the four star Shearwater Hotel and Spa in Ballin Slow um, it's a fantastic prize as well, a fantastic uh, hotel and it comes with thanks to Corcoran Hearing at the Midlands Consultant Clinic, Arden Road, Tullamore. Corcoran Hearing have been testing hearing in adults and children for over 10 years and you can find out more at corcoranhearing.ie. So what are you waiting for? A fabulous prize on offer tomorrow. Get texting there and see if you are today's qualifier. A quick look at what has been happening around your t- local towns around the midlands and indeed around the country and world in gender in in general god i made a slip there i said gender that gives away the first story i have in front of me here you know the drill at this stage don't you expectant parents they hold a massive party during which they find out the gender of their new child they bring all their families and friends and they try to share it with thousands of people of course the more people you can share it with across the internet the better or so it is Oh, tell you wanting this really, really, uh, really rots me now in all fairness and I know somebody who would refer to these things as come give us presents parties but um, recently there was a video from the US where a mother, her partner and their two daughters they were about to find out the gender of their third child uh, they found that they are expecting another daughter now the mum and daughters were overjoyed the dad's reaction was uh, less... Um, oh, ecstatic and of course it drew out that whole kind of conversation around you know is this still this thing happening that people want to have the firstborn son and their disappointment I myself think it was probably all construed and uh, just for online because really it's all about clicks but look I think I've made my feelings known and this whole gender reveal thing and I always felt you know there are so few surprises in modern life Finding out the sex of your child and the date or birth—I have to say—is one of the most amazing things you can go through. And anybody who's had the privilege to do that, I think you'll know what I mean on that. So I didn't have—we didn't have any gender reveal parties. I wouldn't have been less. And you know what? I think it's a thing that we can dump and forget about. And as as we sometimes become more Americanized in this country, you've seen it happen with Halloween, didn't you? We we went for having Halloween decorations everywhere for once. It was. You know, a hollowed out turnip and an old apple hanging off a door frame and a bit of flour and a cherry on top. All seems basic now. Sinead Hubble knows what I mean anyway. I see her laughing in at me. But when we look across the country, what's happening to Airbnb has been in the news a lot lately um, for actually very good reasons because a lot of people were <clears throat> going onto their website. And booking accommodation in cities across Ukraine in an attempt to give people fleeing, you know, the war zones or the areas that were under particular bombardments to give them a place to go and stay and try to help in any way they could. But Airbnb also came into focus in this country last year when new planning laws came in around, you know, whether you can or can't let an Airbnb. Driven, of course, by the fact that there is a shortage of accommodation in Pretty much every town across the country, rents are at an all-time high. They're growing and growing and rising all the time too, which is putting huge pressures on people. But in any town, the number of Airbnb properties that was available for short-term rent far exceeds, at any time, the number of actual houses that are available for rent on websites such as daft.ie. But some councils across the country are failing to clamp down on short-term leasing as the number of Airbnb-style rentals outstrip the long-term properties. A total of 11 counties last year have taken no action against property owners who are leasing homes to holidaymakers on the very popular short-term leasing websites. Now under the current rules, properties should not be rented out for more than 90 days per year on websites such as Airbnb without having planning permission. But the figures for 2021 20, show that councils in just 15 counties are actually clamping down on any rental properties which have been advertised on the likes of those websites too. Um, if you can just check that out there, even on the daft.e website, they publish all the numbers there for the various counties around the place. As I say, some councils are being proactive about it. Others are, are taking absolutely no action. Areas, The to kind of high tourist hotspot areas too, around the likes of the Atlantic, The Wild Atlantic Way and Plickborough and Donegal and Kerry figures are definitely more, uh, there's a bigger gap as well between the number of Airbnb properties and those that are just on the general register for general rental too. Another story that um, really hit the headlines yesterday and and this week was the crash involving a stolen Audi jeep and it crashed after a a chase by Gardaí and apparently the people in that jeep or that jeep itself has been linked to a crime gang and it's believed they're responsible for over 70 burglaries all across the country, 40 of which have been in the Republic of Ireland. Um, if you just look at the, look up the story online or on midlands103.com there too, you can see pictures of these people in handcuffs in, in what looks like the garden of a house as well. And I think... It'll bring a certain amount of comfort to some people to know that some action has been taken and that potentially, you know, somebody has been made caught and maybe held responsible for it because it's such a horrific thing having a house burgled and having your personal belongings gone through. But we hope to bring you a little bit more and get some more detail and the most up-to-date uh, details on that story a little bit later this morning too. Because when it comes to uh, that whole area of crime and punishment, do you know that after spending 80000 imprisoning a person for a year, or for even shorter periods, it has been deemed as not being effective as very little can be done to rehabilitate that person and that's according to the Director General of the Irish Prison Service, Karen McCaffrey She has said that she believes that when prisoners know that they're only going to be in jail for a year or less some 80% of the 4,000 strong prisoner population um, that are in for that length of time they're rarely motivated to commit any to any meaningful process of reform which is kind of understandable if you're only asked to do something for a couple of days maybe you might just do it and get it out of the way so is that true if you get put into prison for a year you're really not going to engage with the rehabilitation services because you don't see the point and maybe does that lend itself to that whole notion of you get out and all of a sudden you're back in again quite quickly and that revolving door system that we hear spoken about in, in this country so often the imprisonment of, you know, has been, has been widely um, reported on over the years is a very costly sanction. And, you know it's costing over eighty thousand a year just to house one person, even on a short term sort of sentence. And again, Miss McCaffrey's asking, is that the best effect and they need the best use of public money on that? So very interesting as well. And she also goes on in, in an article in the Irish Times to speak about the gangs and the amount of Irish crime gangs that are in prison as well. At present there are fourteen gangs in our jails, comprising about two hundred prisoners, and some of the detail around the the drug seizures that have taken place in prisons in november 2020 a consignment of drugs valued at 170 thousand euros was discovered in one prison and last october drugs with a value of 140 thousand euros were discovered in another prison operation as well it's quite staggering what's going on there too and again the whole issue around prison and prison officers officers and pay has been very much in the headlines recently too of course i mentioned they started to show turf Whoa, turf for me. We can never get away from turf in this county and and the counties around the Midlands. And look at it's, it goes without saying it's going to have to be part of our energy requirements for the next for a number of years now. You know, in spite of you know whatever actions we've committed for climate change and that, I think a little bit of sense is coming. But yesterday there was much talk about the Sinn Fein motion that was targeting the ban. On turf sales, but it has been defeated by the government last night by only eight votes, and um, by 72 to 64. The vote was taken around 10 p.m. Um, I think what really a big change in that was the the local cl- uh, coalition of TDs, they based on a commitment that on T. Shock Martin had made not to ban turf, turf sales for the remainder of the year. Um, pretty much meant that they voted with the government in the end and defeated the motion there too but it's really interesting that um you know when you think about turf and the whole idea then of retrofitting and, and retrofitting all our homes one thing that comes up is drafts and try to eliminate drafts in our house and of course we know the word draft got Minister Eamon Ryan into a very sticky situation this week and indeed has probably led to a lot of heightened debate and talks about lettuce and green tea and everything in the doll. and sometimes you think boys just come back and Our ladies and gentlemen come back down to the ground level and come and visit the homes around the Midlands that are entirely dependent on turf and fossil fuels for their heating systems. And let's talk about let's look at taking real action and solving these things, because when it comes to energy and energy crisis, you just have to look at what's happening, you know, especially coming from Russia. Gas prices are continuing to soar as Russia cuts supply to Poland and and, um, to Bulgaria. The um, you know, European Union is committing to finding alternative energy supplies for these countries. Even reports coming from Berlin that strategic stocks that have been built up ahead of the winter will see the continent out um, this side. But however, that does not suggest that prices will stay down and, and prices are going to really, really keep jumping as well we would possibly try to bring you the latest on that um, a little bit later in the show too and just get the ins and outs and exactly what implications it has have because russian president vladimir putin has warned the west of lightning fast retaliation if countries begin to interfere with ukraine and we see what's happening with you know countries like the usa and even germany now coming on board and actually you know providing more military equipment too and putin is certainly um escalating things in terms of his words hopefully the actions don't follow suit hopefully action brings about a bit of change there in that situation very very shortly and so I say much more to come as well on that whole area of the the ban on turf cutting and the latest on that there too but um, a few headlines there for you to check out and these are available for more reading as well on the news section on midlands103.com but a new set of stamps will pay tribute to The Contribution of Women During the Second World War The Ten Stamps will illustrate the different types of work they undertook such as code-breaking, farming and piloting spitfires Pictures of their efforts are overlaid with phrases including protecting civilians, meeting Britain's demand and lighting the way to victory Now if anyone's listening there this morning and they know a link between turf and the role that women played in the various wars to Ireland as well text me in there No 083 3010 103 and see do you know or can you remember stories of what used to happen as well Here's a really interesting one. The Pope has come to to the defence of mother-in-laws. During his weekly address, Pope Francis said mothers-in-law are like mythical characters who are often viewed in a pejorative way and are the victims of clichés. The pontiff urged Catholics to honour and take care of family bonds, telling them to take care of their relationships with the mothers of their spouse. However, he did also urge the world's mothers-in-law to be careful in how they express themselves. So what would he know about it that's all I would say anyway I think time to to move on if you're interested in maybe becoming the next Pope you know you probably know where you have to start maybe a good starting point if you want to change careers is the uh, job spot here's what's coming up here's what the jobs are available in midlands at present still to come this morning the story of the 16 year old wheelchair user who is determined to document his journey to every all 32 counties of ireland and really outlining the obstacles that are there for wheelchair users particularly with tourism and recreational facilities and also a fascinating story of two people from westmead one of whom was looking for a kidney for a number of years decades in fact and they availed of a very innovative and ingenious give a kidney get a kidney scheme in the uk and of course it has brought about great results so find out a little bit more about that later and uh, coming up very very shortly you're going to hear about or we're going to discuss that thing around uh, when is a child at their most difficult and in particular teenagers because a recent research or report suggests that 15 years of age is the most difficult age to deal with teenagers so if you've got a 15 year old who is probably in school or should be in school today have a listen and see do you res- does it resonate with you and, and feel free to text us in on 083 30 10 103, text or whatsapp or give us a call on 0818 103. Lots to come here on Midlands Today this morning. Right now across the Midlands it is 8 degrees.
0: Midlands Today with Tullamore Motors. The all new Renault Zoe. Live the easy electric life. TullamoreMotors.ie
1: to get in touch if you don't agree with Will if you don't agree with me either uh, get in touch too always oh, happy to hear but one person who actually does agree with me based on what we spoke about at the start of the show is Karen and Clara she says she totally agrees I was so delighted and thrilled the surprise we had when both our sons were born that was just in reference to this whole thing of gender reveal parties and I think I made my feelings on those known and I mentioned there's so few surprises in modern life that um, you know it's nice to have a bit of a surprise when a child is born but uh, thanks Karen for your text and of course keep your text coming in because those of you who do will be entered into the competition and will pick a qualifier for tomorrow's overall competition where you can win two nights B&B for two at the four-star Shearwater Hotel and Spa in Ballinasloe. And that's with thanks to Corcoran Hearing at the Midlands Consultant Clinic, Arden Road, Tullamore too. So keep your texts and calls coming in. Always happy to hear from you. Of course, when it comes to children and dealing with children, um, we know that it's, it can be very difficult. And you know what it feels like. You've got kids at home and... In, you know, ne- don't, never mind what age they are they could be a newborn they could be well into adulthood they could even have given you grandkids at this stage they're probably still causing you some amount of worry and anxiety or hassle as well as all the fun stuff and the great stuff they bring but what is the most difficult time you know you often hear of the terrible twos and that it can be a difficult period as kids get on their feet and they find their voice and their real little personalities begin to come out but apparently the terrible twos is is minor when it comes to around the age of 15 because if recent reports are to believe that is probably the most challenging age and it's believed that pressures due to, at school and due to their hormones play a big role in this because a study of 1,000 parents of teenagers found 75% think the ages of 13 to 19 are the most challenging years of raising children with 1 in 3 or 32% admitting they were unprepared for what was ahead of them. Look at this a little bit uh, deeper. I'm delighted to be joined by Eileen Lachlan. Eileen is an Instagram blogger at Everything Eileen. Eileen, uh, Eileen, a very good morning to you as well. Uh, is this something that resonates with you?
2: Good morning, Roland. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so I I have um, a child, a teenage boy at the moment. So Senan is 17. And then I have a bit of a gap. I have a nine-year-old boy and a six-month-old baby girls, so it's really um, all all areas of parenting are, are being used at the one time, but um, I know when they're a baby and you're just in the throes of it, you just never think your gorgeous little baby is going to end up a moody hormonal teenager. Now it's a good job he's at school now, so he won't be able to hear me talk about him in the grand scheme of things, he's a brilliant lad, but you just don't think they're going to be that moody hormonal teenager and the are.
1: And do you think, is it worse in 2022 than it was, say, when the likes of yourself and myself grew up? Like, is there more pressure on people nowadays or is this just a, a kind of a, a, a narrative that we've built?
2: I do. I, I think social media and phones get a huge blame for everything going on. But I do think it adds a huge extra layer to their lives that we didn't have to deal with in in our day. You know, and I, I do think, yeah, there, there's so much more choice, which is amazing. It's brilliant. But it also puts a lot of extra pressure on them, like and, you know, feeling that they have to do things or, you know, so sometimes when there was less choice, you just could decide easier and quicker. Whereas nowadays, like literally the world is their oyster and it's difficult to know for them where to start or what to do.
1: And, of course, there's so much information everywhere now, too, that sometimes it's often said that people just can't seem to get away. There's no such thing as breaking away. And I know myself and a lot of kids, they don't know how to be bored anymore, if, if you know what I mean by that. Do you find is that a problem that we constantly need to be stimulated by something? And I'm aware that, you know, you're an Instagram blogger as well, so you probably have to balance that with family life. But is, is that a problem these days, do you think?
2: A hundred percent. Yeah, and I'm guilty of it myself. And it's a real case of like, your children are are watching what you do like so it's yeah it's 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 so difficult to put the phone down and just you know go outside and play or, or do whatever and um it's definitely even i think the likes of studying must be so much more difficult like now to put your phone down and, like, ignore anything that's coming through for a solid block of an hour or two. Like, I think when when we were teenagers, you had had the TV, and you knew, like, my program was coming on at 8 o'clock, so I'll study from, whatever, 6 till 8, and then go and enjoy it. But now they have the constant binging of the phone, and it's such a distraction. Like, I don't envy them. I I don't think I'd be capable of putting my phone away for that long to study or do something like that. And because they're so... I, I do think their attention span is even shorter than what it used to be.
1: And that, that's a, an issue that's widely reported in the workplace as well and whilst there's so much talk lately and particularly post-pandemic about people going to a four-day week, one big factor and any company that has successfully brought in a four-day week, the one thing they've done is, and generally voluntarily by the staff, is to put away their phones and taken away that distraction. So it's definitely something because it is having a huge impact, I believe, on, on focus and people's attention spans. But... Is 15, is it that age that really is that melting pot of the stress of maybe a junior exam coming, you know, maybe the start of potentially, you know, relationships and courting, for want of a better expression, (laughs) but also mixing then the hormones as well? I mean, really, like, is there any way of managing that? I think that's a huge burden for anyone to have to work through.
2: Yeah, you see, I think, I know obviously COVID was awful and everything, but for us then... He There was no going to discos. They actually missed the junior cert, which obviously he was delighted, a 15-year-old boy that didn't have to sit the junior cert. But I think now the leaving cert is going to come around and there's a whole group of boys and girls that have never set a state exam that actually don't know what it entails. So I, go and, I think it's going to be even more pressure on them. They just don't know what to be expecting. But in the having to, like, go out and meet friends and do things like that I suppose we got off lightly and that you know there were none of those teenage discos but again that's probably not great for for them either because that's part of growing up and socialising. and I mean it is difficult but it's just it's part and parcel of it you, you have to find your feet and I think as parents they're just pushing boundaries and they're trying to see well what can I get away with and what I can't get away with and it's just part of life like when we think back to some of the things we did as teenagers like it's just it's part of growing up and you have to pick well, excuse me sorry you have to figure it out like so you know it it is a tough part of life but i just think it's something everyone has to go through and i suppose if they know on the back of it that their parents are there for them if, if they really need them i think that's the important thing i think as a parent you have to pick your battles you know like the messy room will always be messy and there's no point going up and given out about it every time you're in the room like just you kind of have to say well okay i let that go today and you know it's something else more important yeah. things like that I and t- then I think as parents we never have it really sucked you're always trying your best but like like that, you're just
1: figuring it out as you go. I think you're, I think you're absolutely right on that one. And actually, on the messy bedroom, I do sometimes say, now maybe it's just an excuse on my side." But the bedrooms won't be messy forever, and the day'll come when they're all gone to college or gone off on their own, and you'll be, you'd be delighted to see a messy bedroom again. But looking at some of the 20 most stressful things that this report um, brought up for parenting a teenager some of them are like that trust them to make their own decisions and you've kind of touched on that as well but fears about the impact social media will have on them you know worries about things like bullying anxiety high pressures of education as well that need for that want for independence as well dealing with body image it really is becoming you know it is a minefield as well looking at all the various things learning about relationships you know and learning about all the key parts of, of their life too um but i think that's a huge thing isn't it in in you know, allowing them to be able to that space and platform to make their own decisions, because there's a tendency this day and age that everywhere we go and everything we do is trackable and you, you can check on a WhatsApp group to see has somebody actually seen your message. And if they haven't seen it, that can set off a chain of worry for the parents. So it's it's, it's it therefore is it, it's probably equally as challenging for parents then from that side.
2: Yeah, I suppose it was a lot different long ago, they went out and came home, whereas now, yeah, you can, you're saying, answer my text message straight away, and, you know, if I ring, answer the phone, and, you know, like, when they're out with their friends, you know, they're, they're probably, you're hoping they're not on their phone, and yes, you're giving out to them if they're not checking their phone, so, like, it's a real catch-22 for them, but, yeah, it, it it's, it is such a difficult time, and I think, yes, it's great they can go to Google to get all their answers, but again, if they, like you say, body image, if they put something up in Instagram, all the amazing bodies that come up, and like, you know, that's what they're looking at constantly, and it's, it's you know, it's, it's so new, like, and you're trying to figure it all out and explain to them it's not real life, and, and yet as adults, we're only figuring it out because this is new to us as well, so... I think that's a huge part of it as well. But um, yeah, and then exams and stress. And I suppose it's it's knowing what suits your child. Like not every child is academic, but there's such huge pressure on them now to go to college. And if you don't go to college, you know. Whereas there's so much more out there. There's trades. There's there's lots of, for them to do. And that they don't have to have it figured out straight away. Like, and I think nowadays, yeah, people are changing careers when they're thirty and forty. Which is great too, like you're kind of saying, like, we'll try something and, you know, you don't have to know at 18 what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Like, I think that's ridiculous pressure.
1: Absolutely, because none of us knew and uh, it's a, a lot of people still don't know even you know mm. even as their parents of, of if you know, 14 15 year olds or older probably still don't know exactly what they want to do and how they want this whole game of life to play out but anyway Eileen for now thank you so much for talking about that this evening or this morning I think there's a lot of people I see the text coming in as well about people are on this very subject you know talking about how you have to go down to, the, to their level and just talk to the children as human beings and I think actually that is great advice too and just take it right back down to basics and just have those conversations as well and uh, just guide them through those many obstacles and roadblocks and challenges and barriers and stuff that are out there ahead of us but for now Eileen Lachlan thank you so much for that and Eileen is an Instagram blogger and you can check her out on everything Eileen, all across Instagram there too. Uh, time for a quick break now. After that, we're going to check in on our Home story series with Moncon McGann, and he's going around meeting people in direct provision centres and just bringing their story to air. That's coming up after break, and still to come between now and 12pm. We'll be looking at, uh, talking to Embrace Farm about a new mentoring programme they have. They do great work in supporting families that are bereaved uh, due to farm accidents and a very worthwhile organization, so worth a listen later. Also, we'll meet the uh, Tullamore person who for some reason decided to enter the Ultimate Hell Week challenge in RTE. I god couldn't do it. I find it hard to even watch the programme. Never mind enter into it. But lots more to come here on Midlands today. Talk to you shortly.
0: Midlands today on Midlands 183 with o'brien's Mullingar. The Renault Capture. Capture Life. P.O.Bryant.ie
1: Residents of direct provision centres in the Midlands have been sharing an insight into their lives, hopes and childhood memories. Writer and broadcaster Moncom McGann has been speaking to members of our community from Africa, Asia and South America. This morning he meets Adam from a coastal town in Morocco who believes the main difference between Ireland and his homeland is that the Irish get drunk while the Moroccans get stoned.
3: Welcome to Home Stories, where we explore the lives of Ireland's newest residents who have arrived from Africa, Asia and South America and are currently passing through the direct provision system. My name is Mancon McGann, and today I'm talking to Adam from Morocco.
4: I'm Adam Yaya from Morocco. I'm from a city called Safi. Safi is in the middle of Morocco, like beside the sea. On the ocean. So Safi is in the middle between Casablanca and Agadir, or between Jadida and somewhere. Do you miss it? Of course, yeah, a lot. (laughs) A lot, yeah. And do you think, might
3: you be able to get back to there at some point? I never know. I don't think so.
4: (laughs) It's already been six years now. So, we're getting old. You never know what's happening from now to tomorrow. Maybe we die here in Ireland.
3: <laughs> and what are your favorite memories of childhood in Morocco?
4: Well, to be honest, I think uh, my club, Olympic Safi like soccer club. So that's my, my best memories, like there, yeah.
3: Were, were you playing? Were you good?
4: I was a good soccer player, but but always they used to like to train far from my family house. So my father, he won't let me go alone. Like he was to be afraid about me and they train early. So he come late from work. So that's why I wasn't lucky. So from soccer player to just in a different way, (laughs) fun. (laughs) I was fun for the club and that's it. Yeah.
3: And why did he think it wasn't safe for you to go there alone?
4: Well, you know, back home is no, is no same here. Like, you never know what's happening in the road. Like, always maybe can be a people rob you or something like that. Mm-hmm. Some of them like they're drug addicted or whatever. So, if they have like no money, maybe you have a phone or something they can rob. it. You never know. So they can even beat you to take it from you. So that's why, he's always afraid about me. Maybe I was his. Best son.
3: <laughs> and so, you are Are you working in Athlone at the moment?
4: Yeah, yeah I am working in Athlone. I'm a barber now. And would you yeah. like to have
3: your own barbershop?
4: Yeah, in the future. That's that's the dream though.
3: Right. And do you think, is there good money in it if you owned your own barbershop?
4: Yeah, it is a good money, yeah. If you know how to manage your business and your shop, yeah, you can have a good money, yeah, a good future as well, Mm. especially in this country, yeah.
3: What would you like Irish people to know about you? Are there things that you think people don't understand?
4: Maybe they don't understand, like, the foreigner. You see, sometimes, like, they have no family, maybe. Even, like, if they are not refugee. Like, as I am, I have no family. I go home, I stay alone. But if I have that much of a friend, maybe they told me, yeah, can you have a tea? Like with me, they get with them home or something. Like, I feel like I'm at home. I'm not foreigner, you get me? So that's the only things. But to be honest, for me, Irish people, they're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find them like they are the Moroccan. <laughs> the difference, just the Irish, they're drunk and the Moroccan, they're stoned. <laughs> 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 that's the difference. <laughs> so they're both same, yeah. Mm, they are easy going in the same time, yeah.
3: But as you said, the main thing that for us to realize that people in direct provision centers or who spend time in direct provision, they really don't have that family network. And so the idea is just to try and remember that, that they are here alone away from all of the people they loved and knew who were else, who are still at home in their home country.
4: And that, and that's hard. It is hard, yeah. It is hard. After five years, you will miss your, your family a lot, yeah. Mm-hmm after five years yeah i used to don't even think but after five years man of course you miss your mom and Mm -hmm. after five years like you changed even your family changed like as looking and everything so you see your mom maybe getting more older and your dad and so of course you miss i miss them a lot
3: Home Stories is funded by Creative Ireland with the support of Leash and Westmead County Councils. Music by Brian Maglin and Miles O'Reilly. The series was edited and produced by Lauren Varian. More episodes at moncon.com. That's M A N C H A N.com.
1: Still to come on Midlands 103, MEP for Ireland South, Sean Kelly on the race to find alternative gas supplies for Europe now that Russia has the suspended gas supply to Poland and Bulgaria, which has implications for the rest of the block as well. Lots to come here on Midlands Today. Coming up between now and 11am, plenty to cover here on Midlands Today, including Ultimate Hell Week and a local woman, who volunteered to enter it as well. You'll hear about her experience because, as I said before, I think even the training regime for the loan would put most people off. We'll also hear from the mother of a young 16-year-old guy from Dublin who's wheelchair-bound and he is determined to visit all 32 counties of the country and document his experiences and, and outline and showcase the challenges that are there for wheelchair users throughout throughout the country too, particularly for tourism and amenities and, and various things like that as well. We'll also be talking about the um, that that case there recently, or sorry, that report recently where the the arrests up in East the other day and which seem to be linked to household burglaries all across the country. We'll have the latest update on that and get some of the key facts and figures behind it. But uh, as you listen now, you'll keep your phones out, get your get ready, get the phone in your hand because everybody who rings us today or everybody who texts in on 083 3010 103 or calls on 0818 300 103 will be entered into a fantastic competition with thanks to Corcoran Hearing in Tullamore. Corcoran Hearing have been testing hearing in adults and children for over 10 years. Find out more at corcoranhearing.ie. And if a winner will be picked tomorrow to win two nights B&B for two at the four star Shearwater Hotel and Spa in Ballinasloe. So get texting, get calling, let us know what you think about what we're discussing this morning. But let's get back to very pressing issues and something that is, has potentially the, the chance to impact upon us all. You would have known yesterday that the Russians have suspended gas supplies to Poland and Bulgaria. It is a significant move by Vladimir Putin and his cronies and uh, it's determined to cause a lot of pain and obviously it's a counterattack on the economic sanctions that the EU and indeed many countries worldwide have imposed on Russia. To find out more about it and see what is being done, particularly from the point of view of looking at alternative supplies, I'm um, delighted to be joined by MEP for Ireland South, Sean Kelly. Sean, how significant a move is this from Russia and what impact is it likely to have on Europe and indeed on Ireland?
5: Yeah, it's definitely changing the goalposts somewhat on because one of the difficulties for Europe is while they're fighting uh, the war uh, through Ukraine against uh, Putin's regime in Russia, at the same time they are funding uh, Russia through their reliance on gas and oil and coal. And of course the sanctions are there to weaken Russia's economy. And while they have now decided not to import any more coal, then they were going to move to oil. Uh, Putin now has kind of uh, struck a preemptive strike by saying, as I said, that he's not going to send gas uh, to uh, Poland and Bulgaria. At the moment, it won't have a major impact because of plenty of reserves. Uh, We are entering into the summer period where we won't need as much gas in particular for heating. And uh, there are, of course, huge efforts being made by the European Commission to get alternative supplies, particularly LNG uh, terminals and LNG supplies from around the world. And uh, as of now, uh, the European Commissioner for Energy, Kadri Simpson, using visiting Kuwait and visiting Qatar to ensure that they can get those supplies. So it isn't as dramatic as of now uh, as it might be coming into the winter. But obviously during the winter, when you would need more uh, gas right across Europe, if it isn't resolved in the meantime and we don't have enough uh, reserves, then it could have a big impact on the economies. And really what they are doing is trying to strike at Germany because the the German economy would nearly come to a halt because of its over-dependence on Russian supplies,
1: particularly when they took the decision. And that over-dependence is largely based on the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, which I know would have suspended the operations at the terminal end of it and they haven't started using it yet, but they really were building themselves and therefore a lot of European countries building them on the back of having Russian supplies. And that leads back to the question of, you've mentioned things like LNG from maybe the States and even from from the Middle East. But infrastructurally wise, is the EU set up to actually accept those supplies and therefore, you know, what's what's how long before those supplies actually become viable?
5: Yeah, Germany are going to build two LNG terminals, but that'll take a couple of years. I said they'll do it within two or three years, but that's a long time to wait. There are LNG uh, terminals in Spain Portugal which are underutilised. They're certainly looking at them now and they'll be ramped up. And also, perhaps, within Europe, where there were, had decided to leave uh, gas, etc., in the ground, they are now looking at uh, utilising those. And in actual fact, uh, I always had a, a question mark about that, because I couldn't see how you could actually be saving the planet by, for instance, leaving gas in the ground in Ireland and then importing it all the way from Russia and Siberia, you're actually increasing rather than de- decreasing uh, emissions globally. While it looked good from an Irish point of view and from a European context, in global terms, it didn't make much sense. So I think that's going to be looked at again. So I expect, and only this morning we had a discussion on this at EPP level, I expect the European Commission will come up with a kind of an inventory uh, for each member state saying what they need to do and what they can do so that we are number one not supplying money to prop up the war in ukraine by uh, funding putin's war machine
1: i know germany has made a significant move earlier this week in terms of offering support in terms of tanks and certain certain military equipment which was seen as their first real move against Putin because the dependence on gas, obviously, and even Angela Merkel has come under a bit of pressure there. Even David McWilliams wrote in the Business Post on Sunday about her policies and particularly her downgrading of the nuclear facilities. And what's interesting, actually, in what you're saying to me, Sean, is, you know, while we look at solutions to this potential gas and energy crisis, we're talking about fossil fuels, LNG, oil, etc. Where does renewables come into this? And indeed, even the whole question around nuclear power, is that something that maybe in Ireland we need to start looking at a bit closer?
5: Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. More and more people right across Europe are now looking at uh, nuclear power, and uh, most people would say that Germany were too quick in eliminating it after the problems in Fukushima. I remember I was at a debate one night about four or five years ago when Germany had decided to do that, and I said to them, and they weren't very pleased, I mean, Fukushima was hit by a tsunami, and I said to them, do you honestly expect that there's going to be a tsunami coming in from the Atlantic, jump over all the nuclear power stations in France and hit and destroy a nuclear power station in Germany. That was the reality of it, but they were uh, idealistic. And then, of course, as a result of that, they built Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 and became totally almost dependent on Russia. And now they realize that's a mistake and they have to do something about it. But in fairness, they are making efforts, as you said, in terms of an LNG terminal, to build two of them at least that's been in three billion in it and also of course as you said now giving uh, tanks to ukraine because ukraine can't win the war with their fingers they can use their fingers if they have the right ammunition uh, in their hands then they have a chance of winning it and it's becoming also i think more and more accepted now that if putin uh, isn't stopped in ukraine Uh, That he will probably have to be stopped in NATO territory, and the consequences for that for the world would be enormous and shattering.
1: Absolutely, and I mean, look at as we look at. It's staggering to think what could happen if that is the case. And look at if you'd said to somebody three months ago that we'd be in this situation, nobody would have believed you in in any way. But here we find ourselves. And um, just very briefly, Sean. I mean, I know at, at EC level, President Ursula von der Leyen has announced that you know that Europe's dependence on Russian fossil fuel is now coming to an end. Is there any moves at, at EC level to look at maybe really increasing the level of funding? for developing and even R&D into renewable energies that would have an Im- immediate impact in Ireland and that Ireland could become a supplier of electricity maybe to continental Europe.
5: Absolutely, and we cannot lose sight of the fact that this is actually the ultimate solution. And the sooner we can do it, the better. And definitely there are huge measures being brought in now at European level to ramp up the deployment of uh, renewables right across the European Union and especially in Ireland and we have to do more and we have to make sure that renewable projects, number one get planning permission quickly so that we can actually become self-sufficient and you're absolutely right, potentially which will take 10, 20, maybe even 30 years, we would actually be exporting energy because of the resources we have off our coast but the sooner we get moving on that the better and if people see it happening I think they feel that we're making progress. But for I'm concerned, there's too much talk about it and not enough being done to make it happen. I mean, we saw a few months ago Equinor, who were uh, leading in the whole the deployment of offshore renewables, they quit the Irish market. Why? Because of delays in getting planning and permitting and so forth. So Europe is looking at that and part of uh, our renewable energy directive is going to include uh, a situation where planning permission and permitting for public good uh, projects that involve renewable energy are going to be speeded up, so that investment can happen and we can become self-sufficient, and we won't have to be worrying about the price of gas or oil. We won't have to be depending on Putin or anyone else
1: into the future. It certainly sounds like we've another decade of dependence on fossil fuels. I think no matter what way people look at it, but for now, Sean Kelly Finnegal Fine M- MEP for Ireland South, thank you so much for coming on with me this morning. And uh, there you go. I mean, that's interesting to hear that you know there will be maybe more funding made available at at, at EU level to to look at R and D and and really develop in renewable green energies. But I think the challenge for anything and even for any business or any household is yes, there are solutions there. But the question is how far away are those long-term solutions? This event, the events in the Ukraine are certainly propelling a lot of energy and research into that. And, you know, we need to find that solution and go about bringing them out quickly because what's happening over there has to stop. Now, time for me to stop and take a quick break. But after that, you're going to meet uh, the mother of a 16-year-old uh, boy from Dublin who is determined to document his experiences as a wheelchair user all across the country. Also, you'll meet the local woman who... Uh, decided to enter the ultimate hell week, that uh, fascinating uh, challenge on RTE. And uh, that and much more to come across the rest of the morning. Talk to you very shortly.
0: Midlands Today on Midlands 103 with O'Brien's Mullingar. The all-new Renault cajar Start living.
1: Thanks to Hilda in Shinrón there. She points out on text that uh, there's a one big challenge with Ireland becoming an exporter of energy to the EU. The fact that there's no cable from this country to the continent. Uh, very good point, actually. And it's another thing that has featured in media over the number of years. But I think as Sean Kelly was saying there, maybe the time is coming now to start looking at this and get the money and make the investment into that cable and allow us to really you know, reap the benefits of renewable energies that we have available. And indeed, the, the knowledge base... And the talent that exists in this country for energy and energy creation too. And uh, But a, a fair point, Hilda, well raised. And look, that's just another thing, another hurdle that will have to be overcome. When it comes to overcoming hurdles, any of you who are wheelchair users or who have a family member who use a wheelchair will understand fully the difficulties there are with accessing. And even myself, I see... Around towns, sometimes you see a footpath that suddenly ends and you realise actually there's no no place for a wheelchair user to get down there or you have to go out kind of a roundabout way to cross the road or whatever. That's only one of the issues that can present themselves. But a 16-year-old from Dublin, a young man by the name of James Casserly, he has set off across Ireland to basically see how accessible it is for wheelchair users to travel around our beautiful country. His mother, Vicky, joins me on the phone now. Uh, good morning, Vicky. Firstly, can you tell us a little bit about James?
6: Morning, how are you? Um, James is my gorgeous 16-year-old son. He has cerebral palsy and polyarticular juvenile arthritis, which affect his mobility. So James has been a wheelchair user, um, I suppose, for distances particularly, like, like four, an active little boy um or young man, should I say. He loves music, he loves sport, Liverpool's his favorite team, but most of all, he loves to adventure, travel, and explore, and he prides himself on his independence.
1: And I know he's setting about on his this task to kind of travel to every county and see, but is this based on something on on experiences he's had already to date and what what are those experiences?
6: Well, he loves public transport, and he's taken a notion that at the moment he doesn't want to drive when he's older, and he believes that he should be able to get anywhere he wants to um, in Ireland by public transport. So over the past two years, he's been starting to use, you know, I suppose, Dublin bus. He's independently go on the bus to school and home, and it just gave him a real interest in the access side of things, which obviously really matters to him and particularly within, you know, public the tra- public transport system. So it just kind of led to the point where he says, I, w- I want to do all of Ireland. I want to try and get to every county using just public transport. And he's had positive experiences. There have been blips along the way, um, but I suppose his take and my take on the blips. Um, we don't want to argue with anybody. We want to work with people to try and make our environment and their transport um, measures better for people with disabilities. And for myself, I have a six-year-old son as well, and I suppose when he was small, and James may not be able to self propel he didn't have a power chair at the time, I'd be pushing a wheelchair and a pram, and to go on a bus would have felt like a bit bit of an ordeal. Or if you're on a footpath, like you said, and it wasn't wide enough, or there wasn't dips, but for you know tactile crossings or say pedestrian crossings it was a real issue so it's just something we both have a big interest in and he's just looking to explore he wants to show that as a family that we can still have adventures irrespective of, of his disability he said to me there yesterday you know when you have a disability you gain new abilities and I just thought that was such a cleverest thing to say because we're learning to see the world we've always learned to see the world through his eyes but now he wants others to see that too
1: that is fantastic and in his pursuit of, of making others see this as well he only started this month but there's now over three and a half thousand followers on twitter what's it been like yeah. getting the message out on social media and how has that been received
6: really positive really really positive and he had one parent commented on his twitter that She has a son with a disability and he's a wheelchair user also and it's encouraged her to get out and about too and he said like that made his day and it made my day because I understand what it's like as a family, you want to do everything together and he said sometimes you have to be brave to do it, you have to build a confidence, sometimes he doesn't feel confidence, you know it's a persona but he pushes himself because he wants to have that equality and that family time as well so that meant the world to him that somebody reached out and said that. And again, like I suppose the public transport and uh, networks have all been really engaging, and other access support groups have been phenomenal in coming behind them. And they understand us, and I think it's this positive way of doing things that's probably catching people's attention.
1: I think it, and it's a, it's a great way too of getting the family, as you say, getting the family up and actually visiting those parts of Ireland that you've never seen because he's already done a few counties Absolutely. in the north. He's been in Kildare yeah. and Galway and in, more locally here he's been in Westmeath. How was that for you?
6: Brilliant. Yeah, we actually, that was our very first trip, believe it or not. And we decided, decided we wanted to go to Mullingar and done a bit of research. We knew the Joe Dolan statue was there and that was really fun. And I suppose the train journeyed down. At the moment, you, you know, it states you have to give 24 hours notice if you're travelling by train. Um, but we actually learned a lot that day. We, we learned that in main stations, there's usually somebody there 24-7 that can facilitate the ramp-on, ramp-off. We also learned that there's 750 new accessible carriages coming over the next 10 years. It's the unmanned stations that are an issue. Um, sometimes it's the communication if there's lifts the platforms that may be out of order that, that could severely impact somebody's day you know, and it's just ways of it's a commu- it's basic communication and making sure, um, things are serviced and working. But we went and we set off by bus from Lupin to the city centre, and then by train, and it was really smooth. Everything went really, really well. Um, got to Mullingar, and the first thing he said was footpaths. Footpaths were actually maintained to a really high standard, which they were and um, we went for lunch in the gravel arms and he found that facility really easy to get into and access and food was gorgeous <laughs> and the only issue was in some of the stores and um, we wouldn't have been able to gain access to them because it was steps in and there was no access point so we either would have had to leave him outside or not go in at all but his solution to that and um, his suggestion was like shops like that Um, They could buy a portable ramp and have a doorbell that if you need it, you can notify them, they can put it down. It allows him to go in as a customer, but it would allow the shop to have additional customers, which would obviously improve their revenue. So he's trying to be constructive in how he sees things as he goes. But um, there was a lovely um, local store, um, I think it's called Rochford and they were just he wanted to get a souvenir from everywhere we went and they were just so friendly when he told them what they're doing so we hope to get there again not too far from home but it was a really positive experience
1: it sounds absolutely brilliant and great to hear and even it, it, it's testament to some of the work that our local authorities have done in terms of the public realm enhancements and widening footpaths and, and creating space for wheelchair users, particularly now that there's so much outdoor dining as well and great to hear of a, such exactly. a positive experience. And you
6: can really see that and I think I'd encourage, as Jane said, you know, there are ramps that you can put down for stores that have steps in them yep. or also look at your local authority for the shopfront grants where there is financial support there to do that open your doors to everyone because it's a positive experience for everyone the, the customer and the business as well
1: and i can absolutely assure you that experience will be replicated right across westmead leash and Offly as well and for people who want to maybe keep an eye out on james and follow his journeys what is the twitter handle that they can follow him on
6: it's jimbo's accessible adventures he's on twitter and he's also on instagram so he's doing his own little videos, and we're getting better at making them, but it's, it's, it's him, and it's genuine, and it's just his journey with us along the way. So we would really appreciate if everyone, I suppose, that made everyone think, and looked at their surroundings, and I suppose just enjoy your country, and if you see him out and about, he loves talking to people, and... It really helps his confidence as well and um, yeah just follow along the way it will be
1: fun sounds like an amazing adventure and james certainly sounds like an amazing young man but for now vicky casserly mother of james thank you so much for coming on and talking about your adventures there this morning and uh, look it's such a simple thing to do and highlight all the very good points and, and just may, maybe draw spotlight on some issues where not only are there potential problems but don't you just love how James is coming up with solutions to them already uh, sounds like a fantastic young man as well and you can follow him there on the Twitter handles as described by Vicky and keep an eye out for James if you are a business owner across the Midlands keep an eye out for him in the coming months as he continues his journey time for a short break now and we'll be back after that we'll meet somebody who volunteered and entered Ultimate Hell Week that um, program in RT that really really tests the limits of the human you know, physically, mental, everything every part of you, it's, it's a staggering going to forget a first hand experience of what it's actually like very shortly and then b- before the hour is out we'll just get some update on the arrests that were made in Nace the other day regarding the burglaries all across the country. So lots more to come here on Midlands Today.
0: Midlands Today on Midlands 103 with Tullamore Motors. The Renault Capture. Capture life. TullamoreMotors.ie
4: Get the...
1: Are you a fitness fanatic? Are you somebody who dabbles in a little bit of exercise, goes for the occasional run? Are you somebody who just doesn't consider himself an athlete but does triathlons and Ironman competitions and kind of thinks nothing about it? So do you know what it's like to really, really challenge your body and put yourself to the test? Well, if you've been watching, even lately, or over the last couple of weeks or even over the last year or two, Ortiz Ultimate Hell Week, you will see what it's actually like to put your body tested to the extremes really, not not just from a physical perspective, but from a mental, emotional. Oh, it's I find it it's a tough watch and I am absolutely in awe of the people who never mind last on it, but the people who even decide to volunteer for it. One such person is Tara Mooney. Tara is from tullamore and she's a fitness instructor in the Bridge House Hotel and the gym in Monaster Evan. And um Tara's here with me in studio now. And I think I'm going to start off by saying Tara why <laughs> cuz <'Cause>
7: i'm crazy um i suppose it was during the peak of covid um everything was closed um usually i compete in powerlifting competitions so there was no powerlifting competitions at the time um they kind of contacted my partner. He had no interest in it and I had nothing to do. So I started training for it and said I'd give it a go. <laughs> I think we're getting a
1: little hint into the psyche here now. <laughs> that training alone, take us through your training regime to prepare for it.
7: Um, So it's completely different from what I would have done um, with powerlifting. It's literally... You know, strength training. So this was completely different. I had to go running, which I was no good at. I mean, I was starting off running two kilometers, maybe. Um, hikes, which I never did before. I was up the sleeve Blue Mountains and then progressing to like... Um, training with a weighted vest and swimming, which I was also useless at. <laughs> and
1: that swimming, I presume, is that, that's outdoor, is it, swimming as well? You know? I
7: was lucky because I worked in the bridge house. I did have access to the pool when the gym was closed. Um, so no, I wasn't prepared for outdoor swimming, as you can see from episode one. <laughs> I will we'll come to that now in a second as well. Say I say
1: commend you for telling the story as well. I'm really interested to find out about it. But when that's the physical prep like is there any way of preparing for the mental prep do you think
7: um not really call yeah i did have like um he was a retired um man that i would have known from the military so he did give me uh, some tips and some help on like uh, mental training for it, but I mean, at the end of the day, I think when it comes to it, you either have it or you don't. There's a certain amount of training that you can do, but when you're in that situation, it's yeah, it's either in here, it's not.
1: Yeah, I just I did catch the first episode of it, and it seemed to be you just from the start you went, wow, they really, mm-hmm. really, really want to test people this yeah. year. And where I actually picked it up was when you were on the bus and you were all chatting and you're all nicely dressed up and warm and things looked grand. And next thing, all of a sudden, the Bush was effectively ambushed. Yeah. What happened after that?
7: So it is like it is on the show. It's literally like, I mean, we were sitting up in a hotel and, you know, we were getting our food delivered to our room, waiting on our COVID test results. Then you're on the bus. Everybody's having a laugh and then bam, like it's it hits you. It's real. Um, the other thing about it is I was talking to the producer after we had 28 contestants, but up in the base, they only had space for 26 so when we got off that bus they wanted two to drop out so like on the show it seems like it was five minutes like when we were going through that abandoned place but that was relentless and it just went on and on and on so even those two guys that dropped out i mean they weren't a minute or two into it like they were going a good while so they were really pushing us because they wanted two people out straight away
1: that's setting the task as well how does it, from the, the point of view of this, the psyche behind it and, and, and what you're thinking, right? In your head, right, you know this is a TV program, you know they're going to try to break you and get as many of you out as quickly as they can. So, you know, right, if I can stick this out, I'll get there what's that like trying to battle that like that you're, 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 your head is telling you if you can get through this you'll be fine yeah. but your body is probably screaming at you at that point
7: it's like it's such a weird like you'd, you'd never be in that situation ever well I never have been and it's like you don't even get to think about it because it's just constant stress constant do this like go 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 you don't even have time to think about I have to pull through you're just living in the moment there's just so much going on I mean there's dogs barking in your face they're down shouting at you like you're just (laughs) trying to just get through it you don't even have time to think about you know doing it or not you're just living in that moment
1: even the ground like you could see the rough stone the puddles Mm -hmm. of water weeds like it was it was horrendous looking. it was far removed from a gym or what we're all used to but then like after all that they put you on a boat yeah. And it looked like you were getting a reprieve. But this is where yeah. things changed for you in particular. Tell us what happens.
7: So I was on the boat and it was... I've never been as cold in my life. So you you think by watching the show, you're like, you know, it's a show. We're not going to die. They're not going to let anything happen to you. But I mean, you are left there. You've no idea what to do. You've no idea what you're going, Um, what's expected of you. It's literally like you're just thrown into it. So when we were on getting on the boat... They, put, they gave us the life vest. You were left to do that on your own as well. So you were like praying. I hope it I put it on correctly. Um, and they said to us, you're going to be jumping off this boat while it's going. Put your hands on your head and roll. And then they were saying, do you have any questions? One guy beside me put up his hand and he just went right into the boat. I was like, oh, my God. I, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be really, really bad. Um, so then when we were on the boat, it we just kept going around and around for ages. And there was hailstones. There was rain. I mean, I probably wasn't dressed for the weather, but like, you know, what way do you dress going on to that show? Um, you don't know what to expect. Um, so I was freezing. The guy beside me kept asking, Are you okay? And I must have looked really bad because he must have said it to me about five times, Are you okay? And I was like, Yeah, I was like thinking when I get off this boat, I'm gonna be like, Why'd you keep asking me if I was okay? But clearly I was blue. Yeah. Um so when I got into the water, like I'd say the hypothermia kinda of kicked in when we were on the boat. When I got into the water my legs wouldn't work my body was not just responding at all so I literally like half swam half clambered half got yeah. pulled in on oh, shore it
1: looked, it looked it looked tough I mean look yeah in, in, in no, <laughs> no way in comparison I remember bringing kids and a few of my nephews to base ports last year and the face and everybody when we first hit the water I mean this was that was fairly mild in comparison to what you were doing but that shock from yeah. the water can can do it you have to do a 200 meter swim to mm-hmm. be shore was it pretty much after that then you, you had to drop out, was it? Um.
7: So when I got onto the shore, you know, they could kind of see that we were like struggling with the cold. So they were like getting us to do like, you know, high knees and stuff like that to keep warm. Um. And it was like kind of at that stage, I'd gone beyond the point where I wasn't even shaking anymore. And that's when the cold is kind of hitting your like organs and in internally. And it was like the only way I can describe it, it was kind of like nearly a drunk feeling. You're just you're not witted at all. Um. And then we had to do like, the last climb up to the base and it's like I just could not move <laughs> couldn't move I couldn't think and you know if you'd give me a million euro to take another step it just was not possible and that was it I was I'm gone. gonna hazard a guess <laughs> you
1: certainly don't regret the experience but what did it feel like when you when you knew that was it you had to pull out
7: yeah I think like they brought me in and like they had to like kind of look after me medically and then it's really funny because from hypothermia you actually recover really really quickly and as soon as I start recovering back again, I was like, oh, I should I be out there. Like yeah, <gasps> I was like, you know, because I was the fittest I'd ever been in my life. And I was just like, you know, I could hear them out there. I was like, I should be out there. So, yeah, I was really annoyed with it. But, you know, the cold got to me. It was what it was. Would you go back? No. <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> Not yeah. a chance. No, we have a WhatsApp group um with the other guys that were in it and you know obviously I can't say anything um, about the future shows but I've heard what they've done and no yeah. <laughs> there's no way
1: Yeah no it is it's it's an intriguing series as well and I think there's something about it that you know other years there's been kind of reality problems i before and you always got this suspicion a bit like remember there was an accusation about grills years ago that he used to stay in hotels while he was out with <laughs> that I think it looks very very raw. I think very he really did like, he looked way too well for it That's it yeah I think there's a <laughs> bit but okay, take us back to your day to day life Um, did you find your for health and fitness and powerlifting? Was it something that came later or was an area you were always involved yeah,
7: in? Yeah, I only started when I was 30, 31 and it was literally, you know, I've had two kids and I suppose like majority of women wanted to kind of get back in shape after having kids. Um, so I did kind of what everybody would do when they go to the gym, um, would do classes and stuff like that and really just found a, a passion for it and especially weightlifting. Um, it was something that I really fell into and
1: really enjoyed. You've taken that to a high level.
7: Yeah, like I well, I haven't competed since last year, but um I compete at pro amateur level in powerlifting so yeah, it's all right.
1: <laughs> For anyone that would be in the know, what sort of weights are you lifting?
7: Um so my biggest squat is hundred and forty five kilos. Wow. <laughs> um Bench, which like I hate bench, it's seventy kilos. Yeah. So it's all right. Um and deadlifted is my favorite 160.
1: Yeah. You can basically you can bench press me then. Uh, and squat for squat two of me for one. Right, we might say can we can we do that live on Irish <laughs> yeah. net, no? And yeah, Sinead <laughs> says yes. We'll try and set it up maybe later on and see what happens. But but um, but that has led you, I suppose, like that too. You can do that as a hobby, but you've created a career out of it now between the Bridge House, the gym in monastery and and various other fitness classes you do. So tell us about the type of things you do with clients.
7: Um, so I, I really like working with uh, children for fitness, and um, like I like working with everybody, but especially women as well because I've I've come from where they have. I mean, when I started. You know, I I wouldn't be able to run. I wouldn't be able to do a push up or pull up anything. So I've been there. So I like to work with people that are kind of in the same situation as me and, you know, show them that they can progress and they can do it Um, with children as well. I like to make fitness fun, you know, get them active and kind of doing exercises without them realizing that they're doing it. I think, you know, kids nowadays are under tablets a lot and in front of the TV so there is basic skills that, you know, they're lacking from not playing outdoors, yeah. like, you know, balance and, you know, yeah. a certain amount of flexibility.
1: Tarot terrible because not, yeah. only, not only is it the, maybe the mindless stuff on them, but the posture mm-hmm. they have them. I know. Yeah. Like it is,
7: well. you know, it, it does keep them quiet and you can keep them <laughs> uh-huh. occupied with it.
1: Yeah, but we, we all have to stop saying that. That's I know, know. Yeah. That's so
7: they are missing out on fundamental skills. So I like to do activities with them. Where in a way they're working those skills, but, you know, they're having fun while they're doing that. And it, you're, doing
1: it. you're in Durham National School tomorrow.
7: Yeah, tomorrow I'm in Durham National School. So I'll be doing uh, fitness classes with the junior and senior infants.
1: Right. Tara, for anybody who wants to follow you I presume you're on Instagram Twitter am. how can they find you? <laughs> you're going
7: to love this name it's Tiny Power Mom <laughs> well,
1: It's distinctive yeah, Tiny Power Mom to get I can't change it now It <laughs> nice. is what it is it's, it's very, very fitting as well um, but Tara Mooney thank you so much for coming in thank and you for so sharing much. your experience because you know, you'd know, you think the good thing to do is go, oh God I only lasted one episode yeah. but again, I think there's a, there's a huge amount of respect for even the prep that goes into it and I think just interesting how you point out that you know, you could be in a very specific area in terms of your own personal fitness, but something that is totally different as well. Yeah, and that often comes out on programs like Ireland's Fit is Family, where sometimes you know, farm and families seem to just naturally uh, do well in it because mm-hmm. I suppose they're used to being an out and about as well. It doesn't, you know, so sometimes it's finding it. And yeah, it can, can right cross ankle, over to different, absolutely. yeah. so plenty later. But look, at, if you want to find us a tiny power mom across all the usual social media channels, you can keep an eye out on Tara and all the work she's doing. Tara, thanks a million Thank for that. Um I don't know, definitely after that, I'm not convinced I'd sign up for Ultimate Hell Week either. I might give it a miss as if my hands are getting cold and I'm out for a a couple of K run in the morning, what chance would I have in a boat with uh, freezing cold waters and a 200-meter swim, but would you enter it? Are you watching that program and would, are you there thinking, I would absolutely love to enter that program? Um, maybe follow Tara then on social media and you can ask her exactly why uh, she, she wanted to do it and how you can get involved and put yourself, set yourself that ultimate challenge. Um, that's it from, from the Tara for now and so I wish her all the very best in her future uh, endeavors too. Going to take a quick break now. After that, we're going to get us an update on... The Audi SQ5 that crashed up near Nays the other day and it has led to a number of arrests and that are apparently linked to a number of household burglaries all across the country. We'll get the key points of that after this quick break.
0: Midlands Today on Midlands 103 with O'Brien's Mullingar. It's official Westmeath. No county loves Renault more. Pobrien.ie Midlands Today Midlands 103
1: the article in the Irish Independent today has the headline Stolen High Powered Audi That Crashed After Garda Chase is Linked to Over 70 Burglaries Nationally That story was by Ken Foy and Robin Shiller and Ken joins us on the line now uh, Good morning Ken What do we know about this so far?
8: Good morning Ronan um, There's five suspects uh, are still remaining in Garda custody this morning at three different Garda stations in County Kildare where they've been questioned under organised crime legislation, uh, this follows their arrest on Tuesday. There had been a there had been a surveillance operation put in place against this alleged burglary gang, that had led to a, a high speed chase, which had actually been stood down because the stolen Audi SQ5 that they were travelling in um, had entered Nace, and there had been there was a lot of traffic in the town. So at that stage, Garrity were not pursuing. The vehicle but it was still travelling at high speed and it ended up crashing into a roundabout and flipping over and Gardaí were quickly on scene and the uh, five suspects were arrested.
1: And it looks like this um, jeep has undergone numerous number play changes over the last while in order to kind of evade the Gardaí but it has been linked apparently to a number of burglaries over 70, some of which were around the Midlands here.
8: They they were, yes. Yes. there was there's been a number of incidents in port leash and particularly in the kennedy area um since this vehicle uh, started to become in circulation um It was reported stolen in London on March the third and it was uh, the organized gang brought it in into Ireland. and as you say um it has it has been used almost on a daily basis for burglaries across the the country and um there have been a number of properties, generally in the Midlands it's been residential bur- burglaries, but um, it's been used essentially across the whole country, including in Northern Ireland.
1: And it kind of paints a picture actually as well when the Gardaí come to track it now I suppose in the modern age with so much technology and CCTV and, and tracking apps as well I wonder is that aiding do you think in, in a general level the Gardaí and you know, how they can track various vehicles across the country or is it still sometimes just is there a bit an element of almost a look and, and just discovering a vehicle like this one was travelling high speed through a town?
8: Well it's a unique kind It's a unique kind of vehicle but um, since since early March when um the first reports of, of this vehicle been involved in in burglaries across um across ireland and there, there was a number of guard alerts put in place for it but the, the simple, it's such a powerful vehicle that um there was at least two occasions um one in the blessington area of county wicklow and the other actually in port leash when um, I, I believe the the gang were disturbed in the course of a burglary where the guardy attempted to pursue it but the Such was the power of the vehicle that it was able to, to speed away
1: I heard Will Faulkner Mentioning the other day On the show about uh, I think it was the police In Dubai or somewhere That they were driving Lamborghinis or Maseratis So it's good to show you Sometimes there might be A need for more higher power But for Ken, for now Ken Foy from The Irish Independent Thank you so much For that update On that incident recently And as said, That incident As a crime gang That have been linked To over 70 burglaries Across the country uh, Lots more to come Across the rest of the morning Here on Midlands today Thank you for your texts They're coming in Um, John in Port Leash texted Texas say that Jim Story or John James's Casterly story was lovely and that all our town should have zero tolerance regarding parking on footpaths to allow you know wheelchair users full access. Anyway, still to come between now and 12 pm in Brace Farm have a brand new mentoring programme for families bereaved on farms, and also would we'll meet two people from Westmead who use the Give a Kidney Get a Kidney initiative in the UK to save some money's life. Still to come between now and midday. The co founder Norma Rohan of Embrace Farm will be along to talk about a new mentoring program they have. And Embrace Farm are an organization that were set up to provide support to families that have been bereaved as a result of farm accidents. Also, Roscommon Galway TD will be along to talk about the motion that was raised in the Dáil last night by Sinn Féin, where they were looking to have an out-and-out ban on the um, the turf coating. Now, it did, it did have a link as well towards looking at eliminating the kind of introduction of carbon taxes or the increase in carbon taxes too, but Michael Fitzmaurice, that independent TD for Roscommon Galway, will give us a little bit more information on that later. Michael is also the chairperson of the Turf Cutters and Contractors Association. Um, if you're listening and you're, you've like texting in you can do so on 083 3010 103 or you can ring us here on 0818 300 103 as many of you have already and um, people have been texting in Pat Infraban has said Hi Ronan, say hello to Tara for me She's an absolute inspiration to people in the fitness game and best to look to her in her endeavours Thanks for that Pat People are commenting as well on the state of footpaths around um, Some people are suggesting that in some of our towns the footpaths aren't really up to scratch and that the councils need to take action and upgrade them particularly for wheelchair users People like James Casserly, who we heard from his mother Vicky earlier in the show too. Somebody else has texted and said that they were looking up some research and it says that if you burn turf that's two years old, it's an awful lot less harmful to the earth than a bale of briquettes. Hmm, interesting. Oh, so much comes up in that debate around turf and peat and what we should and indeed shouldn't be doing. But... um. If you do text in and keep your texts and calls coming in, you will be in with the opportunity to win a fantastic uh, night away with thanks to Corcoran Hearing, Corcoran Hearing the prize is to two people in the four-star Shearwater Hotel and Spa in Ballinasloe. prize will be posted out to the winner in the form of a qualifier and all of you will go into the draw tomorrow and that overall prize we have been testing hearing in adults and children for over 10 years now and you can find out more at corcoranhearing.ie and I say tune in again tomorrow as well to see if you can get yourself into the uh, overall uh, draw for tomorrow but now let's go back to Westmead and let's have a look at what's been happening and a really fascinating that has come to light over the past week it's in that tough area of somebody who needs organ donation so I'm delighted to be joined now by Anya Cornally Anya's a kidney donor now there's a little twist in this story to a stranger in london she's from ballymore in Westmead, but i'm also joined by sheila Hanavi. and sheila received the kidney from a donor in scotland now Sheila's also from ballymore so they kind of get a bit of background to this and find out how it all started and how it came to a solution and i'd like to be joined by both ladies this morning um, i think to begin sheila i'll start with you as the person who received the kidney how long were you waiting on a transplant
9: um hi ronan i was waiting on a transplant 19 years
1: Wow, that's a long way. Yeah. That's 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 a that's a significant yeah. portion of your life, I'd guess.
10: Yes. Well, I originally started on dialysis when I was fifteen, and received
0: a transplant. Oh, can you hear me?
1: Okay. Transplant.
10: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, Sheila, continue. Yeah.
10: Yeah, I originally received started on dialysis when I was fifteen, and I received a transplant after seven years on dialysis, and then I waited the second time round, nineteen years.
1: And what, you say, 19 years, it's a long time, particularly when dealing with something so, so important. What led to it being so long? Was it just lack of a suitable donor? Or how, yes. How, yeah. Yes,
10: yeah, lack of a suitable donor.
1: And when you went about exploring options or that, you know, did, did you find it very frustrating or, or were doors just constantly being closed for you? Like, how, that must yeah. have been tough to deal with.
10: It was quite tough. There wasn't many uh, options in Ireland and uh, then I heard about the paired exchange program in the UK, which was discussed with me by my consultant, Dr. Colin McGee, in Beaumont Hospital. And then I looked at going into that program, and I went into that program in 2011. I was one of the first patients to go into that program in Ireland, from Ireland.
1: Take us through the program. I, how, does it, how does it work?
10: Okay, so um, to go into that program, you have to bring some donors, a donor with you. And my good friend, Anya. And her husband, they came into the program with me. And we were in that program for seven years. And how it works is there's an algorithm ran every quarter and suitable matches are picked out. Um, that would, that, I was in that program, as I said, for seven years. And then eventually in 2019, I found a match was found. And how it would work then, when the match is found, Anya, would, Anya donated to a family in London for me to obtain a kidney from a lady in Scotland, and then the guy, the family that Oanya donated to in London, um, you know, donated it to the national list in the UK.
1: I think we'll come back and touch, touch on some of the logistics behind that. I'm sure yeah. a lot of stuff had to fall in place at the one time. But your, your own story and Anya's it really goes right back to, the, to your very first moments on the planet, really, because both of you were born on the same day in the same hospital, just four minutes apart as well. And clearly a lifelong friendship has come. However, Anya, when it comes to donating a kidney, that's a, that's a big ask or a big, a, big, a big donation from anybody. What was the experience like for you?
9: Yeah, morning Ronan. Uh, to be honest, it was very, very straightforward. Um, and, you know, because Sheena, Sheila had been, you know, having, you know, problems trying to get a donor um, or a direct donor here in Ireland. Uh, and our health was beginning to deteriorate a little bit uh, just over time. Uh, 19 years of dialysis was beginning to, to take its toll. So I suppose Sheila and all her friends, including me and our family could see this happening in front of us. So, so there was, you know, there was a motivating factor there for me as a donor. So I knew that 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 it was something that needed to happen. Uh, that said, Sheila had had so many, you know, near misses and and hopeful moments over the years that, to be honest, I I actually didn't believe it was going to happen when I put my name on the list. So putting my name on the list was a very easy thing to do. But then, when it came to actually uh, donating to facilitate the the paired exchange. You know, we were supported here by the team in Bowman and they were super. You did a lot of kind of pre-medical checks to make sure that I was fit and able and that my kidney was, was decent enough to donate to somebody. So a lot of uh, checks and balances were done here in Dublin. And then when we went across to Coventry where the operation happened, we'd super care there too. So I'd never had my appendix out, right? Um, but I'm guessing it was something akin to having your appendix out. Yes, I go into theatre. Yes, I was a bit sore when I woke up. It was all keyhole surgery. To be honest, I'd have to tell somebody that it happened. They wouldn't believe me. I thought I might at least have a scar for bragging rights, but I
1: don't. I think you've <laughs> earned a bragging right, in fairness. But when, when it comes to your own, as a donor, your own preparation, did you have to adjust your diet or anything for a, a period beforehand?
9: Not a thing absolutely not a thing you had to stay well obviously so there was no point in me kind of getting sick or getting a cold or or, or you know it happened to a reasonably short time frame we'd all the prep done in anticipation of of, of it happening uh, so you had to stay well but absolutely nothing has changed for me the only thing that that you know I can't do is I can't take ibuprofen or any of those kind of uh, anti-inflammatories so if I have a headache or anything, I have to take a paracetamol. Paracetamol is my go-to, whereas, you know, before I might have popped a, you know, Neurofen or something. Um, that's, that's all. Absolutely
10: nothing else.
1: Wow. Nothing else that's, that's fascinating. So, Sheila, take us, like, when, when did the actual uh, transplant actually happen?
10: Um, on the 20th of March, 2019.
1: And how have you been ever since?
10: Very, very well. Absolutely a massive change for me. As Anya said, um, I was distar- starting to deteriorate. I, when you're on dialysis for a long number of years, your bones start to get very, very weak and you would be slow at walking and just normal daily tasks would be, you'd be slow at doing normal daily tasks. It got difficult as the years went on. That's where literally overnight you could see the difference.
1: And does that then do away with the need for dialysis once you've had the Absolutely. transplant? Absolutely. Yeah, that yes. itself must but be massive.
10: Yeah. Absolutely, I've got all my time back. I was going over to Bowman three days a week um, after work and spending four hours on a dialysis machine and obviously driving over and driving back. So say five hours, three days a week was taken out of your life. And I have gained all that time back. Kind of after nineteen years when I got better after my transplant, I kind of had so much time I kind of didn't know what to do with myself because I just got into a rhythm of going to Bowman three days a week. You were also on a special diet. Um, A very strict renal diet, basically anything nice, chocolate, crisps, chips, anything nice, you were not allowed. And you also had to restrict your fluids. Um, So straight after the transplant, you're just back to normal. After a few months, not straight away, but after a couple of months. Yeah, but
1: you're getting, yep. you are getting you get your life back and you can continue to, you know, with family it's and life. career and stuff as well. But yep. can, you, can you take us through the, the period right before the transplant happened? I'm sure so much has to fall into place. So many phone calls, confirmations. Yes. What was that like? And just give us an overview of, of, of the experience.
10: Okay, so I suppose originally I received the call from Coventry Hospital that they had received a match. So then um, Beaumont, the team in Beaumont, get involved and... They would arrange, we had to go over, myself and Anya had to go over to Coventry for various tests. And we had to go see the ethics committee to make sure, you know, I wasn't buying Anya's kidney or giving her any big gifts or and that we were genuine friends. And uh, we had to bring over photographs to prove all that. And then the operations... The operations are arranged with, by the transplant coordinators in Coventry, so they have to liaise with the team in Scotland and the team in London, because the operations have to happen absolutely at the same time. So, for example, on the 20th of March at 6 a.m. in the morning, the lady in Scotland donated her kidney, and then Anya was in the theatre at the same time, donating her kidney, getting her kidney removed from myself to go down to to go down to London. So. The the kidney in Scotland was flowing down to Coventry, and Lorna's kidney then was flowing down to London. And then at six o'clock in the evening, I was in theatre and the person obviously in London was in theatre and both operations happened at the same time.
1: That's incredible. That's I mean, you're you're born four minutes yeah. apart on the same day, and you're and you're, yeah. you're pretty much prepared. You know, the kidney donations are happening at similar times too. But at it's um, times, yeah. I'd say it it is a program that many people wouldn't have been aware of. I certainly wasn't of it. Do you know whether many people have availed of it, or, or how many people is it predicted to match with a donor kidney over the coming years?
3: I,
10: at the moment, I don't know how many is in the actual program. Um, I know that the program, I think, has moved from Coventry now for Irish patients. It has moved to Belfast. Belfast City Hospital so to say if patients obviously have to fly over to Coventry so Belfast City would do the very same the programmers ran out of the UK and Belfast City would be like a location for the patients in um, southern Ireland I know of a couple that were on actually one of the TV stations during uh, earlier in the week um, a wife donated to a husband and they had their operation done up in Belfast but at any one time there probably are 10 or 12 Irish patients in the program in the UK
1: it is it's an amazing amazing program and when you hear yeah. of the results that that you've achieved as well but also to hear of Anya's experience there too in, in terms of how relatively almost simple it was it kind of shows that there are alternative options out there and it is just amazing also, to hear that you know you've got your health back and you say you've got your time and life back too and I think it's an absolute it's a fascinating story and it sounds yeah. like that friendship that was forged a few years ago is going to continue forevermore
10: oh it is indeed we're very good
1: friends it sounds it, it sounds it all right. Look, I think it's it's brilliant. And look, at well done to you all. And look at Sheila to yourself, continued um, health and happiness as you go forward. And Anya just hats off to you, it's a fantastic thing to do. That is Anya Carnally there, a kidney donor from Ballymore and Westmead, who donated a kidney via a special scheme there that's in the UK in order to ensure her good friend Sheila Hanavi could get the kidney that she needed, that she'd spent 18 years waiting on. Um, brilliant story and goes to show you that sometimes when we put our heads together we can come up with great ideas and great solutions to problem. Thank you for your texts. Keep them coming in on 083 30 10 103 or call us here in the station on 0818 300 103 and get your name, end name entered into that draw tomorrow for the two-night stay in the Shearwater Hotel and Spa in Ballinasloe and that's with thanks to Corcoran here in, in Tullamore. More details on that a little bit later. Time for a quick break now. After that we're going to be talking... Uh, about turf again and I'll be talking to Michael Fitzmaurice there. He's a TD for Roscommon Galway um, and also he is the, the chairperson of the Turf Cutters and Contractors Association and we'll just get some more kind of details and the latest on that motion that Sinn Féin had brought in front of the doll last night and then we'll talk to Norman Rohan too, co-founder of Embrace Farm and they were set up to support those bereaved or people who've also survived farm accidents because it unfortunately remains a huge risk and a huge hazard working on farms, and because it never—it's not just employees involved. Sometimes it's often the whole family as well in terms of helping out on the farm. So Norma will talk to us about a new mentoring program they've come. We've also a bit of a surprise for you coming too, but uh, find out more in a little while. Talk to you shortly.
0: It's time to check out the range of suits for graduations, weddings, and formal wear up to size sixty-four at Guy Clothing High Street Tullamore, the leading clothing destination for every man. Follow Guy Clothing Tullamore on social. media media.
1: To come between now and midday, I'll be talking to Michael Fitzmaurice, he's an independent TD for us in Galway, just about the motion that was brought before Dahl last night by Sinn Fein and around that whole area of the potential ban or proposed ban on turf cutting. We'll have latest updates and we'll have Norma uh, from Embrace Farm, she's a co founder there, in to talk about their latest mentoring program that is designed again to suffer people who've been bereaved or indeed who have been affected by workplace injuries on farms all across the country. So, lots more to come, but to begin, um. I'm after inviting Sinead Hubble, producer of Midlands today, into the studio, and I'm going to start off with this.
3: Splish Splash, I was taking the bell. About a bath.
1: Splish Splash, I was taking a bath. Not on a Saturday night, on a Thursday night. Sinead Hubble, will you tell the people of the Midlands? what... I was given out the Taramuni nearly earlier for volunteering for Ultimate Hell Week. What have you volunteered for tonight? I'm not.
11: I'm quite sure I volunteered for anything. We have an issue here at Midlands 103. We've lost oh. our Managing Director, Will Faulkner. That's
1: me for the day. Yeah,
11: he was meant to be here this morning. He was also meant to be taking part in this Dunk Tank fundraiser this evening. Ah. But he's gone missing. Oh. So. <laughs>
1: but I'm sure it was important, Managing Director duties he's gone on.
11: No idea. Okay, okay. Can't find him. We we even put in a call to the Gardaí this morning to see mm. if they, they can actually track him down. Because no contact, no nothing just completely disappeared, so I'm going to be his stand-in tonight.
1: So what is this dunk tank?
11: So there's a dunk tank fundraiser taking place tonight in the Phoenix in O'Connor Square in Tullamore and it's in aid of Women's Aid and the Tullamore Ukrainian Appeal.
1: Ah, very good. So, dunk tank, so this is kind of what you think, you're going to sit basically on a platform, is it, and somebody throws something, or how did it it dunk you?
11: (laughs) As far as I'm aware that's what's happening I'm trying to not take in too much information about the details and just go along and see what happens
1: tonight Are there others being
11: dumped? There's lots of others Ah, being dumped I think there's about is it 11 or 12 volunteers uh, Ah. who are taking part so Anthony Kearns from Guide Clothing James Hogan from Dorough National School and uh, lots of other people. I think
1: I heard Caherlock of Offaly, and he Declan Harris. He's taken part as well, yeah. and
11: Deirdre Fox from Offaly Volunteer Centre. Yeah. So there's loads of different people who are uh, getting involved. having
1: a Principal and Clara, I think, is doing it as well. How are these people rounded up, and how they get uh, doing it? Look, I suppose it's all for a good cause, anyway. Again, for Women's Aid and for. Um, the the local Ukrainian appeals as well, all organised by Tullamore and District Rotary Club. But kind of strong connection here to a man, certain man who, who uh, our former MD, who's driving everything behind it as and well. And how do you say no to a man like
11: that? I don't know. But he, people are going. He's to He's very sp- persuasive when he wants to be.
1: So, have you thought about how you're going to do about it? Like, what are you going to wear? Like, is it go- are you going to wear like a full suit now? Are you going to be <laughs> Nick or, given much guidance on what's going to happen
11: well the messages that we've re- received this morning uh, says that you can wear tracksuit business suit or do it in the
1: nude Ooh, right so,
11: so uh yeah i think option yeah to do. Yeah, yeah i can
1: imagine it's probably going to be nippy enough as well at the back of the i don't, don't nice think anybody either. wants to see it that sounds like a lot of fun i know the Tullamore district rotary club have more information about it up on their facebook pages Tickets are a fiver to get in and um, that entitles you to three balls to throw at a dunky of your choice and um, you'll be able to buy more on the night of course and um, God forbid that you don't get to dunk them the first time round. and uh, do you know what it'll be interesting to see if there are for people or will people bottle it at the end and not want to actually dunk a good friend of theirs. Look it's all going to be great fun it's for a good cause. Um, you can contact Tullamore District Rotary Club if you want, you and contact the station here on 0818 300 103 to find out how you can donate to that cause as well. Sinead, um, <laughs> all the very best in your prep, and maybe you should talk to Tara Mooney about you know hypothermia and how to protect yourself best. <laughs> yeah, i get some
11: some tips off her. If you don't see me tomorrow or hear from me tomorrow, you know that it didn't go well. Well, I'm
1: sure when Will is back <laughs> in the hot seat tomorrow, he'll 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 uh, ask you about your experience. But look at well done fair play to you and um, all the best <laughs> all I can say is why oh why time for a quick tune now here is that great irish band the script with break even and that's the script with break even right now around the midlands it's 11 degrees
0: midlands today with bus Aran. great news fares across the transport for ireland network are being reduced which means traveling on any bus aaron operation service is now cheaper than ever visit bus today
4: this is your guide to smart glasses
1: Lots of you getting in touch on 083 3010 103 and by phone on 0818 30103, particularly uh, paying tribute and commending Boronia and Sheila, the women there who were speaking about uh, Sheila's transplant, getting a kidney transplant recently, and about that really innovative and groundbreaking programme that's now in the UK and as, as Sheila pointed out is now moving towards Belfast as well that is matching people up with, with uh, kidneys and effectively it's give a kidney get a kidney and it has been life-changing for Sheila obviously and no doubt could be a game changer for many people across the Midlands. Text coming in from people like Rosie Buckley and Clara congratulating both ladies and indeed from many of you around and of course all of you who text or interact with us today will be put in to the draw and if your name is picked out today, you'll go into the overall draw tomorrow to win that fantastic competition and that prize of two nights B&B for two people in the four-star Shearwater Hotel and Spa in Ballinasloe. Um, fantastic hotel. That's coming thanks to Corcoran Hearing at the Midlands Consulting Clinic, Arden Road, Tullamore. Because hearing loss can be an uncomfortable experience, but dealing with it doesn't have to be expensive. And with your PRSI contributions, the cost of new or replacement hearing aids is covered up to €1,000. So Hearing.ie. They're based in Tullamore there and they have put up that fantastic prize in the water Get your name into the hat and you could be our lucky winner for tomorrow. Now moving on to a matter that is ever-present around the Midlands too. That whole uh, issue of turf cutting and a potential ban. You'll probably be aware that Sinn Féin brought a motion before the Dáil last night and they were looking at basically having an out-and-out ban on turf um, brought in. Now there was links with their motion towards kind of pausing any further developments or introductions of carbon taxes and that likely had an impact in terms of the overall voting but to get a little bit more on that and and find out exactly what the latest is on it I'm delighted to be joined by Michael Fitzmaurice Michael is an independent TD for Roscommon Galway Michael is also the chairperson of the Turf Cutters and Contractors Association Uh, Michael, good morning Um, just briefly, who does the Turf Cutters and Contractors Association, who do you actually represent?
12: Well, the Turf Cuts and Contractors Association was formed in 2006, um, as you may remember, when there was bogs being designated. Uh, we have members all over the country um, where we fought, um, basically where the government was uh, trying to roughshod over people in different parts of the country where they designated their private property. Um, you would be familiar with some battles that took place down through the years. Um, Clonm probably one of the most famous where they tried to take a machine um, and the people, the ordinary people, um, stopped this happening. And they were basically standing up for their property rights.
1: When it comes to the proposed ban on turf cutting, and I know over the past week there's been so much to and fro and in the doll in the media and everywhere, and people, it seems, picking up the wrong ideas, people not being clear on the language being used about what was proposed. But, like, surely I had Sean Kelly, MEP, on earlier, like, and Sean really... I suppose pointed out that most countries, like in Ireland in particular, like we're going to be dependent on fossil fuels for at least another ten years. And that's only probably looking at the at the least worst case scenario. So like what is the reality with this ban? Like, you know, like if it comes in, it's just going to basically plunge people in the Midlands into poverty. Is that a fair argument?
12: Well, first of all, I think we have to be um fair in in you know, explaining what's being proposed. Um for people that own their own turf bank, um, or say turvey right, or there's there's ten different rights the way you can own a turf bank, or um, they are not being affected. Just to be clear on that, because um, I don't want to be uh, accused of scaremongering people, as has happened um, over the last week, where government uh, ministers have accused people of scaremongering. That's the first thing to be clear on. What they're proposing at the moment is on the sale of turf, um, but if you're selling selling a bag of turf or selling turf to somebody that um, it would be, um, it would be, uh, hello?
1: Yeah, you're okay, Michael, keep on. Yep, that's okay, yep.
12: That that the sale of turf would be um, basically regulated and that in urban areas that it would be banned. Now, the talk of the urban areas that they're talking about is 500 people, um, which is basically a one-horse town. Um, if you were talking about Tullamore or places that you would uh, cover there um, it wouldn't it'd be basically banning the sale of turf there uh, through this new regulation and in fairness to um, say it T be TDs um, right around the country there is huge opposition to it. there has been a huge backlash I have never seen such a backlash from the public um, since I'd say 2010 or 11 with what has been proposed um, but as you rightly pointed out, there was a vote last night um, in the dole. The vote was, there was a line on it about turf uh, that the, the proposed ban would be basically stopped. But there was also parts of it on carbon tax and VET. Um, and look, at, we'll, we'll call a spade a spade here. Government TDs would be saying that they couldn't support some of the things that was in it. But to make it easier for them, just that you'll be aware of this and your listeners will, To um, I have gone, I don't get private members' time too often. Um, I'm lucky that I have it. Um, I thought it was last week, but it's next week coming. And I have put in a motion solely on turf. A very, you know, a, I've listened to what everybody has to say. It is a motion that will cover all the different aspects and those TDs in government that will say that they support the turf people right around Ireland will get the opportunity now to look at this and to vote on this um, because, in my opinion, I have put in a very reasonable, sensible type of emotion based solely on turf. Nothing else, there's no carbon tax thing in it, there's no VAT, there's nothing else, only completely on about a turf, And it's going to simplify it pretty well to know for the people and all the constituents around the country are politicians talking out two sides of their mouth or are they with the people
1: what are the key points of that motion you're going to bring forward well
12: first of all if you listened to media and listened to actually Hall Martin yesterday to talk about terbury rights well terbury rights is one right that you have in a bog right and in fairness they have said that there's no effect on terbury, rights and that's fine but there's there's, there's a myriad of rights there's fee simple rights there's acquired rights there's family members' rights, there's commonage rights, there's a, a, a myriad of rights that we just cannot just talk about. Turbary rights. There is also the people that, um, that that basically I want them exempted from these regulations. And now this isn't nothing off the wall around, and this is what they're all saying we're entitled to. So let's see if that's what they say. On top of that, there are people you'd know, Claire, around your own area there, um, where bogs were designated and some of those people took compensation and they were told to ask to buy turf. They were doing this for the state and uh, they were asked to take compensation they were, or some of them could get turf from the state which they are at the moment. Bear in mind the state is supplying turf to some people around the country and there are people that move to relocation bogs under license as well. So that has to be all covered all those aspects and there's people that sold bog uh, to the state where it was designated they have to be looked after also for the people who have always rented a of turf or acquired a of turf from someone they have to be recognised down through the years because not a lot of people uh, might rent a of turf where their own bog might be wet or, or whatever that they wouldn't be able to use it um, and we have to make sure that all those people are covered but on top of that um, when you talk about you know a ban on the sale of turf we have to bear in mind that there's 50% of social housing in this country that is ranges, that they rely on solid fuel. And what we have to do is, we should take the word ban out of everything. What we have to do is, there's regulation there of moisture content on timber at 25%. Peat briquettes are under it. In my, I've sampled turf and it's under it. But what we need to do is work with the industry over the coming years, over a two-year period, to make sure that they're in line with that that moisture content and you don't have to be banning anything anywhere. And that would be for the large urban areas. That wouldn't be applicable to smaller areas, but for large urban areas. And that's how you resolve this issue. The sad part about this is there's a lot of people and civil servants talking about turf that never stood in a bog and cut turf or turned it or pushed it and to think they know, they're experts on it and we need to get a handle on this and it needs clarity and it needs people not to be frightened within in their houses at the moment wondering whether they're going to have a fire
1: next winter. I think you, you raised some good points there too and I think it's really important that clarification around you know exactly who's affected and indeed more yeah. often who's not affected by it but as you said yeah. that, that hands-on experience there too. Because
12: there is, there is in fairness a lot of misinformation you know there's and I want to be fair and balanced. I'm not a, I'm not one of these politicians that's going to be given an inaccurate um, information on any radio station. There was people saying that all turf was being banned. No, that's not correct. What they were, say, if you had a, a Turbury right, that's all they seemed to know about was a Turbury right. But we have to know all the other rights. Are they included in that? And that's fine if they are. Let them, you know, the motion I have done is a very reasonable motion that I have listened to what our government TDs have said over the last week from being Fine and Fianna Fáil and all that's in it is what they have said and what they believe should be given to the people and they'll get that opportunity next week.
1: Michael Fitzmaurice, thank you so much for that. I think it's a it's a valid point you raise there too around looking at, and it's, you're, you're the first person I've heard saying publicly that if the industry itself just looks at how it does it, you know, if it's things like moisture content, if it looks at maybe being a bit more sustainable or getting a bit more economical or efficient, that in turn might you know save carbon emissions and satisfy. There's a that reality.
12: Made. There's a reality here as well that to, you need to just transition. You cannot just say next like September to someone, "What bang? Good look. That's the India." Um, you have to make sure that you have a just transition. And the industry... Look, at, I, I'll be very clear on this. I know the moisture content of feed for kids are about 16%. Um, I know the, the the timber regulations that came in last year. And bear in mind that we in opposition supported the timber uh, regulations because you know and I know, and anyone with common sense in rural Ireland, but some of these people think that we have no cop on at all. Um, they believe that, you know that there's wet timber being burned everywhere no one will burn wet timber because the first thing to do is split the chimney liner on you that's, yep. you know like it's calm, It's a bit of cop on you cut timber in February if you have no kennel dryer what you do is leave it seven eight months and have a, leave it in the shed where the wind can go through it and that will solve that will bring down your moisture down until till burden uh, perfect and that's what, cre- that's what eliminates the smoke and the particular matters and I have checked turf I got a mechanical engineer that checked it uh, that was cut last year. Um, I cannot put my hand in my heart and say when it came off from the bog, what it was. But we tested it last week. That's about 19 months later. And it was down at 18% moisture. And that's perfect. That's actually lower than the, the regulations of 25%. And what we need to do is work with the industry for where the retailers are going into the large urban areas to make sure that, that basically that they keep in line on that. And, we, you know, this, this thing of having battles we need to sort of study up and make sure that we know what we're talking about and make sure that the people aren't frightened out there. Because I'll tell you, at the moment, it is it is savage to see the amount of elderly people that witness some misinformation, may I add, that has, is out there. And the poor devils don't know whether they're coming or going or whether they'll have a fire. But what, make it very clear to you on the radio, in fairness, yesterday, the teacher said, There's no one going to be affected this year, so that's the first thing the way that anyone that's out there worried or concerned about it, it we need to put this debate and, it.
1: and it's well and good the Taoiseach saying this year but I think as well it's it's a long term we need to tell these people that yeah. they're, they're safe for 10 or 20 years but Michael sorry yeah. time, time has run out but thank you for that update as well and for clarifying some of those points and all the very best we'll follow your actions with that motion that you're going to bring before the Dáil too that's Michael Fitzmaurice their independent TD for us Common Galway and chair of the Turf Cutters and Contractors Association time for a quick break now after that you're going to hear from Embrace Farm. They're a support organization set up to help families bereaved by farm accidents. That's all coming just in a few minutes.
0: Midlands today with Bus Aaron. Great news! Fares across the Transport for Ireland Network are being reduced, which means travelling on any Bus Aaron operation service is now cheaper than ever. Visit busairin.ie today.
1: Well your texts are coming in by the bucket load and many people kind of very exercised about that whole idea around the turf as well Theresa Mullingar says turf is mine and my elderly parents source of heating so I hope the ban doesn't come into force later on. I think Michael Fitzmaurice kind of clarified that that it's not and Mihal Martin has indicated the same but as I asked Michael we need to think longer term because Theresa my own parents are the same they're entirely dependent on turf as their source of heating as well Another listener has texted in now they didn't put their name to this as well but they said they're slightly disappointed because they thought they'd get to see Will Faulkner in the and see him get plunged into water later on but no uh, Sinead Hubble is taking his place in that one but I uh, keep your texts coming in as well some people are texting they've got concerns because they don't have their own bogs and they're going to be subjected then to have to buy it or continue to buy it as well so what impact might it have on them so all very important points and I think that forms the basis of this kind of turf-specific motion that Michael wants to bring before the Dáil. Um, Staying close to the Midlands and so much of our rural businesses are farming-based businesses and the issue and the dangers from farm accidents is ever-present. And I'm just looking here at a, an article from the Irish Examiner only last week and it says that danger has become normalised on farms in Ireland and that means that for many farmers, accidents are to be expected and it's just a given that they'll happen. That's according to a senior Chagas researcher and there's huge evidence there on the HSA website on that. But in an attempt to shed light and to assist farm and families that to try to avoid these accidents and prevent them but also to offer support to farm and families an organisation called embrace farm was set up a number of years ago its co-founder is norma rohan and um today i say they support their support network for those bereaved or who've survived farm accidents and uh, norma wants to talk to us about a brand new mentoring program that they've launched uh, good morning norma can you tell us a little bit more morning, about this norma. program
13: yes So Embrace Farm up to now has been providing support to uh, families bereaved by farm accidents or or those who have suffered a life-altering injury. Uh, With thanks to the Department of Agriculture, we have been in receipt of some funding to allow us to provide one-on-one supports now um, tailor-made to farm families following a number of different types of sudden deaths that farm families experience, whether that be a farm accident or... To a suicide or any other type of a fatal or illness or sudden onset illness or medical event, Um, Embrace Farm now will be there to be able to walk a journey with you afterwards and try to support you in in whatever way that you can, whether that be with emotional support or providing some practical uh, information around uh, succession planning or legal issues or financial issues that you may have.
1: I mean, are, the statistics are are horrifying. There have been over two hundred farm-related deaths in the country over the past ten years, with numerous more accidents. One hundred and thirteen recorded in twenty twenty one alone. But um, quite interesting how you you put suicide into that too, and that is that alluding to the pressures that are also there on on farmers of all ages.
13: Absolutely, yes um the the figures are well documented for those who die by farm accidents in this country unfortunately the same figures are not there for farmers who die by suicide um anecdotally um every one of us listening today would probably know somebody in the farming community who has taken their own lives um and for whatever reason that may be um it's just we want to try and be able to support families afterwards irregardless of the circumstances of how they die farm families face the same pressures in the aftermath of a sudden death um trying to run a business tells don't understand you know they can't hold off and of being milked for a few days or being fed or, or or anything like that so irregardless of how a person in a farm family dies you know there is support uh now it available is, it's a it's a huge loss family. of
1: loss of knowledge and experience too but very briefly normally can you, can you just tell us how people can find out more about the program or get involved with the mentoring
13: So the best way to contact us is um, have a look at our website, embracefarm.com. All of our contact details will be up there. So you can email us or phone us and uh, we'll be happy to chat to anyone at the other end.
1: Um, It sounds like things are going from strength to strength with the organisation too. And as I say, as the the, the stats show, it uh, unfortunately is a much needed support.
13: Yes, I would personally think so. Um, while there are many um, supporting organisations out there, there are very few that are dedicated solely to the farming community uh, and that's the unique thing about Embrace Farm we're farmers ourselves and we understand and we get the pressures that you're under um, so yeah we're happy there to try and help and support as best we
1: can Well here's your continued success Nora Norma Rohan from Embrace Farm thank you so much for giving us that update and Norma's given out the details how you can get in touch and it's almost like Michael Fitzmaurice said about the turf that sometimes when the people who are living it who are working it when they get involved and take action it can make all the difference and time for me to take action and clear the way for Carl James is here with the afternoon show after the news at 12 uh, big time Thanks to Sinead Hubble and to Kira Mannion for putting today's show together and to Will Faulkner for inviting me to come in and fill his seat for today. I won't do too much harm while he's away. He'll be back in the morning. He'll be here with the Friday panel of course and lots more on Midlands today. Have a great day. Talk to you all soon.